Hello, everybody. This is Sports Council. I'm Matt. We have G and Vivek on the call. How are you guys? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, these are some scary times, obviously. Not only do we have a pandemic, now we have Cal Fires um, going on right now. Yeah, it's it can be a more interesting <laughs> time, honestly, considering you know the climate, like quite literally. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Either way, we're just going to ignore that for tonight, and we're just going to talk about NBA basketball. Thank God it's back because we need a healthy distraction right now. And we have a lot to talk about, too, considering the level of games and the quality that you've seen so far from many of the series. And we've chosen to highlight a couple of them that we thought were most pertinent and most worthy of discussion. Yeah, honestly, like, the bubble is working, right? It's, you feel the intensity, I think, of the playoff basketball. Obviously, you know... I think yeah. the best part about the bubble is that, like, you really get to see who's the better basketball team. It's yeah. not, there's no home court, there's no, you know, you play in Denver's with altitude problems, you mm-hmm. go to, like, I don't know, LA, Staples Center, you know, Lakers fans are going to show out first time playoffs in, like, six years, right? So it's like, you know, it's all that type of stuff is out. It's just basketball on basketball, buckets on buckets, you know. If you take today's game, the Jazz Nuggets, you see Murray, Mitchell, they're giving 50 each. You know, exactly. not in a regular series. Yeah, it's a great equalizer, honestly. Um, yeah, that's what the CNC broadcast, they use the exact same phrase, I swear, every like two quarters or something, because it's really true. It is a great equalizer in the sense that their quote, home court advantages really just pipe in, you know, audience noise. And even though people are announcing, like, you make a three or you make, like, I don't know, a dunk, it's not as if you really feel the momentum or the energy from a real life crowd. Exactly. And let's just get started right away. Game four, Clippers versus Mavericks. And I have a feeling this game is going to be talked about for a while, guys. Luka Doncic, the guy that the Kings did not draft. Don't even start about the Kings. The Kings don't even talk about. But Luka does deserve to be talked about. Um, That is a legendary performance and i mean you know capital on legend you know mm-hmm. he's he's turning towards being one of the top five ten like top he's already top ten a top five players in the league you know he doesn't play much defense but he can rebound he can score at a high rate and he does he has so many assists he's looking for his teammates while scoring you know and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do you know you see players like kevin durant who are just a lot of scoring and not that much assist, you know. And you see other players like Chris Paul who get a lot of assists but don't really look for themselves. And there's Luka Doncic, you know. And this man got, what, almost 50 tonight with a triple-double? That's just yeah. unheard of. It's ridiculous. Right. And, and considering, like, the stage of the game, right, you know, going into pretty much, I want to say, the second quarter, uh, they were down 21 points and they were on a deficit over there too. And you also have to consider that in the previous game, Doncic injured his ankle, and there were even quotes saying um, whether it was a grade one or a grade two ankle sprain. If Doncic had a game two, grade two ankle sprain, he would have been out for pretty much the entire series. And luckily, he was able to just basically play on his tender knee. And, um, and, and also, Chris Higgins was out as well. Yeah, with their second best player out, you know, that's when the best players step up. Union team needs you the most, and, you know, that's what you've seen from Doncic today. And just for everybody to know, you know, we are recording this as a Saturday night, right? Saturday, right? Sunday night. Sunday, Sunday night. night. Yes. It's hard now. It'll <laughs> be out Tuesday morning, hopefully. So, you know, everything we just saw happen today, um, you know, probably by the time it comes out, you'll see another game, set of games. But, you know, this series, I think, is the best one in the, so far. It's just back and forth. The end of the fourth quarter, I think there was, what, five straight threes, two from Dantage, one from, uh, I think it was uh, Tim Hardaway, one from Kawhi, one from Marcus Morris. Like, they were just going back and forth. And I think that's just, that was amazing basketball. It's yeah, incredible. and I think that the narrative surrounding the game is also starting to alter a little bit because, you know, coming into the series, people were going to think that, you know, the Clippers were basically all but going to, you know, just finish up the series pretty strongly, you know. People did put some respect in the Mavericks, especially Doncic, but uh, there wasn't really any indication that they thought that they were going to upset the Clippers, you know, very convincingly. And, you know, it, it feels very weird to say this too, but 
as great as a player as Luka Doncic is, at many times, he's looked at that, like the actual best player in the entire series on both sides as well. Like, you have Kawhi playing great. You have Lou Williams putting in a lot of points here and there. But as far as guys that are keeping you in the game and responsible for most of your wins and keeping yourselves in the game as far as generating leads to go, you know, it's really been Doncic just been doing a lot of the work, you know, setting up teammates, you know, you know driving in, kicking out the ball, making those step-back leads that he's been famous for lately. And yeah. he's really been doing it all for the team. And it's pretty incredible to watch, especially when you consider he's 21 years old. You know, he's basically our age, and he's playing out against some of the best players. People call PG and Kawhi two of the best wing defenders you've ever seen. And Luka's making him look really easy. I think, I think the thing with Luka is his game is so mature for his age and just for anybody coming and playing pro-level basketball at the age of 16 in Spain for Real Madrid, I think it was. You know, that in itself right there is so helpful and you notice that right now you see that big moment you know he doesn't shy away from the ball he doesn't you know take a step down but you know like great players supposed to do in the fourth crunch time he goes that next step up you know he takes the next level and he extends his game to you know like finding open teammates or taking a step back in Reggie Jackson's face and ending the game and saying I know I'm gonna make it that's superstar stuff you know Right, he looks very tenacious out there, you know. Like even when the like even when all of the defenders and the players are trying to trap him, he's always looking to, you know, try to get inside the rim as quickly as possible or find another person to kick it out to or, or make that extra pass. And Dante just really been the MVP of this series so far for you know, you can see it for both sides and like I it's really ineffable how much I can say about him. Like he's playing absolutely incredible basketball right now and all the credit in the world for him right now. Even if this list doesn't, you know, end up going his way, I think this is his first uh, playoff series, correct? And he's yeah, just correct. been showing out completely dominantly as well. Yeah, every chance he's gotten so far in regular season big games, playoff big games, bubble big games, he's shown why he deserves that recognition. He's one of the best young players in the league, if not the best under 25-year-old basketball player in the NBA. I don't know what player you'd want over Dantage that's that young. Like, you want to build a franchise, you want – Dante, he's, he's trying to become a leader at 21, you know, he has the respect of his teammates, and that tells you enough in itself, you know, he's always wants to win and whatever it takes to win, and, you know, you don't have your best player, second best player in KP, and, you know, you're basically down by 21, most teams will be like, hey, just, you know, worry about the next game, there's always gonna be another game, but no, he's, He's the type of player that's going to keep fighting and digging and fighting. And, you know, that's what team, other teammates are going to get behind. And that's what makes him, you know, even a great leader. Right. Exactly. It's not just Luca that's doing a lot of the work. You know, Luca has a really good team around him as well. You have Jalen Brunson, you have Seth Curry, you have Hardaway Jr. And you have Trey Burke, who's been carrying a lot of the offensive floor along with Luca Doncic. And you can even argue that they match up pretty well compared to most teams against the Clippers. The Clippers are known for their incredible depth. I mean, the two six-minute-year candidates and Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. And you know, the, the Mavs, you know, Rick Carlisle has something really good basketball. And their offense is looking especially on point as of late. And, you know, you have Doncic and you have Kawhi. You know, these are like the two alpha dogs of each team. And they're definitely short enough. But, you know, how about your second best players? You have of course, he was playing at a very high level throughout the entire playoff series, but we all know where this is going. Where's playoff P been doing? Playoff P? Playoff P, nah. Exactly. It's over, dude. Like, when you look at him, right? And let's just take a look, not even at this series right now, where he has not shown up in four straight games now. Let's just take a look a year back, and then let's take a look at the year before that. And even when he was with the Pacers, it doesn't seem like playoff p exists it's there is a playoff p but it's not maybe what he was thinking it's a consistent amount of um just disappointing play i think from a guy who people believe is a superstar and i've never thought that was the case but at least you kind of expect your stars to show up when the time comes and Kawhi chose this guy to partner with him in la to bring another championship to his hometown both of them have the chance and right now, only one of them is showing up. Yeah, I mean, that's really much honor to be said. Kawhi's a robot. 
he doesn't show emotion. He just doesn't, you know, <laughs> overtime. And from the end of that fourth quarter, he literally, every single play, he was getting guarded by, I think it was Kleber. He just crossover, hit that mid-range, crossover, hit the mid-range, go and try to guard Luka, even though, you know, it's not easy to guard someone like Luka Dantage, especially when they're setting so many screens and there's so many switches nowadays, you know. It's not usually your best player guarding the other best player. You probably want that to happen, but you'll get switched off, right? But yeah. or someone like Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's a he's just a block. He just gets what he needs. And if he just has that support from what's supposed to be playoff P but turn into pandemic P, I think I think this series honestly if pandemic P was playing half decent the series should be over. They should have won all four games. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. And Paul George has even said that to himself, you know, if he was shooting well he said in today's post-game interview, today being uh, Sunday, the August 23rd, he said that they were shooting a lot better than he currently was, and the series would be looking a lot different. And I think everyone would be inclined to agree about that. But, you know, there's this narrative, obviously, surrounding Paul George's playoff woes. And honestly, I really don't like to be a narrative-driven personality whenever I talk about sports. But given his past, you know, incidents in the playoffs and his notoriety and not really stepping up on those big moments as so many stars or people of this caliber should be doing in those clutch moments. It's, it's really, you really got to question, you know, what's Paul George's mentality? I think he's shooting around 27% in the field at this point. And 16%. And that, 16%. Oh my God. Like that's just absolutely I, abysmal. I think, you know? I, think, I think a perfect example of what P, playoff P is supposed to look like is the guy he's going against, Luka Dantage, you know, he played I would, I wouldn't, anyone would, wouldn't argue with me and they say, play, Luka Doncic played great in the regular seasons, you know, and if he played like that, that'd be fine too, you know, if he kept those stats up, but no, when playoffs started, Doncic took that next step forward, and it looks like Paul George took two steps backward, you know, if Paul George was even playing remotely just to his average stats, you know, I think the average is like 25 and 6 for like, the time, like, it's great numbers, bro, but it's not like, crazy numbers it's not anything too unrealistic in the playoffs not like the Mavs are number one defense they're number one offense doesn't mean they should be stopping you on when you're on offense you still be out and go get your own shots but it just I don't know he's there's no excuses for him this year you know last year he was like oh I couldn't I was trying to play my best with the injured shoulder it's a bad shot it's a bad shot, but you know there's no more seasons now. You have Kawhi Leonard, you have all these weapons around you. If you lose this, if you somehow the Clippers lose this, I don't know what the Clippers are gonna do. But obviously you're not getting rid of Kawhi. But Paul yeah. George, the thing is like bad the, contract in my opinion. The like, Kawhi, they gave him yeah. Jonas Alexander, they gave up Vanilla Gallinari and five, you know, first round picks to the Thunder just to acquire Paul George. So they completely the went out mode. They gotta be doing this right now. You know, the Mavs timeline isn't necessarily to you know be this championship contending team just yet. Exactly. But the Clippers were in complete win now mode considering the age of the roster. They gave everything up, you know. And the thing is, I think Kawhi has an opt-out. Maybe the year after the next one, I believe. So if things really don't go to plan, this is not, you know, ideal for them in that sense. Yeah, especially considering how they basically mortgaged their future to, you know, acquire Paul George. And I mean, on paper, right, I don't want to detract or write off the Clippers just yet. Yeah, the thing is, like, yeah, it's a 2-2 series. We can't discount everything. For all we know, they're going to come out with an intensity like no other. Maybe Paul George is having a cold. Uh, yeah, a couple of remember, games. You gotta remember the Mavs are also getting KP back. You know, KP's a, that's true. He's been like a thirty and ten almost in the, in the bubble. That's a lot of points and rebounds, and he's the best defender, paint defender. So if it's already hard as it is when you're getting guarded by maybe I don't know Michael Finley Smith or whatever his name is, it's gonna get easier when KP's behind him. You know, if you put disrespect to Dorian Finley Smith, that's what his name is. <laughs> I get that though, but look, Porzingis was teed out in the first game, and the Clippers. That's the only. Uh, no, that's the two second game, uh, first game that the Clippers won, mm-hmm. right? Imagine if Porzingis wasn't um, ejected, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a three-one series in the Mavericks' favor. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is this is going to have to be a big carry, in my opinion, for Kawhi Leonard to finish the series. Um, obviously, everybody expects PG to step it up, but you know. Maybe if it was the second game, 
you're going to be like, okay, PG still has a chance to step it up. But if you think about it, majority of the series is already over. Mm-hmm. I don't think somehow tomorrow Paul George is going to wake up and be like, wow, I can shoot the ball now. I think you're right. going to have another big performance from like Lou Will, who had like, almost 40 tonight. You had he had 36 Kawhi. or 37, I think. He was yeah, pretty Jesus. phenomenal. He was carrying the scoring load along with Kawhi for the majority of the game. And, you yeah, know, he, he was attacking the paint really well because he is a really – Celebrity type of player, he gets to. He play. makes tough shots, he makes big time shots, you know, yeah, when it counts. No, with no Porzingis in the paint, he took advantage of the, all the opportunities with obviously the attention on Kawhi. And, you know, still, regardless of how bad Paul George is playing, still got some attention to his name, you know. So he took his, yeah. his, his advantage of where he could get him, and Lou Will played really good. So I think if they're going to want to win the rest of the series, they're either going to have to have their role players step up even more. You know, it sounds crazy to say, but you can't rely on someone that's already messed up four games, you know. You can't keep feeding him shots when he's not going. Obviously, no, okay. you to try, but eventually you have to understand it's not working and you still uh-huh. need to win the series. Now, do you think that if Paul George doesn't step up for the next three games or, you know, however long it may be, do you think the Clippers will win the series even without Paul George? Yes. And just because there's a guy named Portland on their team. I'm inclined to agree, too. I think that ultimately the best player on the floor is going to be Kawhi Leonard, obviously. And as great as Luka is playing, you know, he doesn't have that two-way impact that Kawhi does. And, you know, Kawhi's been t- making some really difficult shots, and you can tell that he's kind of stepped up into that, you know, playoff gear. And he kind of sandbags regular season, you know, watching his games. He, he kind of takes, like, every Every out of every three games, he takes one off basically. But now, you know, mm. he's basically going in full force and, you know, his full playoff motor. And I definitely believe that he is just a good enough player to you know, carry the Clippers pretty far. And honestly, like, he's basically been the reason behind why they've been in the games out of all four games, really. He's been by far and away their best player, and he's been playing incredible. There's almost no other player that I would rather have in the playoffs than Kawhi Leonard. 100% agree. I think his offense and defense impact is so 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 much that he like you don't notice it because he doesn't have the personality. He's not going around yelling, screaming, making jokes, or doing all this <laughs> stuff. But man's that got almost 30 every single game or more, you know, in this playoff so far. It's not his fault they're down. He, he tries to guard Luka, you know, but in today's game where you switch everything on screens, you know, you really never guard him, you know. You're going to have someone set a screen, you're going to have Luka on, like Reggie Jackson or Lou Will or something like that, you know. So it's hard for someone to go out and guard the best player like it used to be in, like, the older basketball years, like in the early 2000s, where you'd see a lot of the best players guard each other and then also, like, you know, give each other buckets and stuff. But nowadays, everybody just switches everything, so you're not really, like, guarding each other. I think if Kawhi had more of a chance to guard Luka, you'd see Luka's – the numbers come down a little bit, but that man Luka is something else. Yeah, I get credit to both sides completely. You know, Luka's been playing great. Kawhi's been playing great. Ultimately, I think the series does go to the Clippers' favor, just considering, you know, the talent level on the team. And inherently on paper, we I've been basically repeating this point, but this shouldn't be this difficult of a series for the Clippers, I believe. It shouldn't be. They have I still the, think they're going to win this the experience. They have the, they have the coaching. They have the, everything you could need. They have so much depth, but it's just – when someone's so great on the other player, it's overwhelming. And I think a very fair comparison to Luca's performances recently is Damian Lillard. And, you know, that's what we're going to talk about next. But that man, Damian Lillard, is also doing something very similar to that against the other L.A. team where the team really depends on him. You know, it's a very high-usage player, and you need him to have big game after big game for you to win. Do um, you guys still think that the Trailblazers have a chance after taking one that early first game against LeBron? I personally don't see it. After the first game, I was just as excited as everyone else. You know, game time was popping off. People were making very strong comparisons out there. And either way, you know, I thought that there was some momentum coming. But the Lakers completely shut them down, game two. And then by game three, you can kind of see that the talent level for the Blazers, they just can't match up with it. 
they're just down too many people. And once they switched Anthony Davis and put him at the five, he just straight up abused Nurkic. And I don't see a possible adjustment for that because Whiteside's not as good. You can't really defend AD and LeBron. And I don't think the Blazers have the personnel nor the defensive coaching to be able to do that. I think they take one more game off them just as a surprise, but I don't see it. I think the Blazers. I think I think, I think in that series, 10. I think there's very evident who the best player in, in that series is. And it's Anthony Davis. He's mm-hmm. unstoppable offensively. He gets 15 rebounds a game. He is almost basically the best defensive player on the court. Also, as well being the best offensive player. And it's just Nurkic, Whiteside, whoever you want to put up on him, cannot guard him or even be close to guarding him. Right. And I completely concur with both of those points. And here's what I kind of want to illustrate. This series basically goes as far as Anthony Davis determines the matchup, right? If Anthony Davis settles for jump shots around the perimeter, and if those don't go in, like in game one, he basically forced up a lot of those shots and didn't play around the paint. And that allowed people like Nurkic to end the right side to kind of just take advantage of that and basically grab their rebounds and, you know, attack the paint. But like you said, when AD goes and plays the five and he just dominates the paint and the interior, then life becomes extremely, extremely hard for the Blazers. I mean, Nurkic looks consistently gassed out there on the floor. You know, him and Gary Trent, and they've basically been like, taking turns defending LeBron and AD. And, you know, those two guys aren't really exactly defensive stalwarts. They can't really stop or, you know, limit AD and LeBron. It's really going to be as far as like how those two players are just going to play, you know. Like LeBron had gained like how like ten points in game two, I think, and then he just completely showed out in the mm-hmm. last game. And so, I really think that this is a close and shut series, in my opinion. I think that you know they don't really have the personnel facing the Blazers. The Blazers can't really have to stop AD when he plays the five. And also, if you watch every single Blazers offensive possession. They pretty much take extremely difficult shots from like around the perimeter and in the yeah. range because they can't. They don't penetrate the, the paint at all. They, they don't penetrate yeah. because they can't. You have Ree, really? you have Dwight Howard, and you have AD, so you can't basically do anything over there. The thing is, like they have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and everyone's saying you know DJ uh, Damian Lillard is you know one of the best three point shooters from like thirty foot right range, right? But the thing is, he has to take so many of those shots because they can't find a way to get him down hill or they have to keep on making sure that, you know, they almost entirely, like, suffocate him when he's near the three-point line. So he has to take these insane shots and just hope that he makes it in. Right yeah, now. okay. That's not, not sound like Paul George here. These shots are good shots. <laughs> <laughs> and they pick him up from full court, too. And that's pretty incredible to see. It's respectful. It's respectful, right? But it's very respectful. Like they're really taking this game threat very seriously. He thinks his range is from one step in from half court, and you know, I mean, that's pretty, pretty goddamn far. But I, I, as if I was a Trailblazers coach, and just like Terry Scott says, if he wants to take that shot, you want us to be the one to tell him not to. Cause I don't want to be the one to tell him not to. That's if he wants to take it, he takes it, bro, and it makes him what thirty percent of the time, thirty-five percent of the time. Like I'm taking that. You know, that's better than most people's three-point percentage from, from 10 feet closer. I mean, that's right. true. It's, but it's I relatively think it, efficient, yeah. but it's still very gimmicky. You know, you can't win a game just by shooting threes from you know, the yeah, logo. That's why I agree the with thing you. is, like, I think it's like it's if he wants it, right? If he wants it, that's a good thing, right? But if he has to, then, you know, we're mm-hmm. approaching a whole different problem. Yeah, and I think he to has to. On it, when you have to rely on it for your, for your offense and your way to win the game, that's when it's like, for me, it turns more suspect because it's like, yeah, it's great, and, you know, I would. it's easy to say, let's just throw up these threes, and, you know, you're going to make a third of them, but mm-hmm. that's not basketball. Basketball is not just throw threes from half court, you know. There's not much movement going on the trails. There's a lot of ISO, CJ McComb, ISO mid-range, or Damian Lillard ISO three. You know, that's not really working out. And then I don't know I don't know how much, how closely you guys watched um, game three. It did look like Nurchik was a little tired out there, I know he's a big man. He just came off injury recently, but he looked tired. He was gas. Like he hasn't played basketball in so long. And I mean, yeah, I understand that he hasn't, but 
you know, but if you're going to be out there, you know, you've got to be able to give some, your team some quality minutes and be less of a liability on defense. You know, he's just, he's getting cooked by Anthony Davis and then goes on the other side and, you know, does nothing, yeah. gets blocked, gets out rebounded and then yeah. goes back, gets cooked again. It's like, that's not going to help Damian Lillard who barely plays defense himself. I don't blame Nurkic, honestly, for being gassed. I blame Stotts because, like, I also don't even blame Stotts, too, because, you know, who are you going to put on Anthony Davis at the center position, right? Nurkic is gassed, but, you know, you have to have him out there because he's your best guy. Yeah, so, why is that not going to get it done? I'm going to yeah, go further and not. say that I don't even blame the Blazers at all because at the end of the day, AD enough is alone to exploit every single hole in the Blazers system. I mean, we've seen it happen already. AD and the Pelicans swept the Trailblazers two years ago. We all talked about what happened last year with Trailblazers and the Thunder, which is obviously great for Damian Lillard. But the year before that, he did get swept by Rondo, Drew Holiday, and Anthony Davis. He got swept last year, too. Steph Curry, Mm -hmm. no KD. And they also basically gave up 17-point leads. But to be (laughs) fair, that was to the Warriors as well. Good times, good times. Those were great times, yeah. But the point being that you know the Blazers, they, the Blazers are have not been very good at holding leads and you know playing good on defense. They've been a very streaky team in the way they've been generating leads. You know, in the game in game one, they basically just caught fire very early, and Nurkic just think, making a really big impact defensively and also facilitating as well. Uh, the Blazers like to play Nurkic a lot offensively outside around the paint, and they don't really play him on the interior a lot. So. The Blazers basically just like to play out a spaced out system in which they just consistently go for like outside shots. Mainly because, like I was saying before, they, the Lakers interior defense is just so much better than Portland's. Like you have wide sides, sure enough, but like wide sides blocks aren't enough to like, you know, it doesn't really mean anything because the Lakers just inherently attempt so many interior shots to begin with that of course you're bound to get a couple of blocks. But when you have guys like, you know, AD and McGee, like, when these guys are on, the Blazers just don't have, you know, enough big men to stop them. You know, Zach Collins is off for the entire series and even the season. So, I think it was just a complete uh, lopsided victory for the Lakers in the long run. You, but I think the Lakers did show a lot of signs of weakness in this series. Um, yeah. I think, I think there is a lot of – I don't know if this is what LeBron is now, but he shows a lot of passive-aggressive basketball in the sense he doesn't. <laughs> doesn't push like he doesn't he doesn't attack the rim you know LeBron is known for being either going to get fouled and go into the rim or being unstoppable he's too big he's too fast he's too strong you know but he doesn't do that anymore and obviously I mean, he's, he's old right I understand he's 35 almost or he is 35 so he's not going to be attacking the rim the way he was once before but if you have a rookie and Gary Trent Jr. on you you have to be able to take him he did in game three he had 18 points in the first half I think it was maybe a little bit more but he he would he played a really good first half and then, you know you've seen him attack 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 you know get to the line he's not the greatest free throw shooter but you know at least just getting to the line getting them in foul trouble and showing that you're not just you know gonna take the ball off the top of the top of the key and just back down and look for passes to Anthony Davis like you know that's that's what they did a lot of game one where you've seen LeBron not want to attack and you wanted to be a passer instead. And that's what I feel like was their ultimate downfall in game one. And I think something in the next couple of series when you're playing, let's say the Rockets next series, you're not going to be playing just one guy. You're playing five shooters. You're playing the best scorer in the NBA and James Harden. You're going to be playing the guy in Russell Westbrook who, if when he comes back, you know how he plays. He's 100% intensity all the time. You know, he's going to be attack, attack, attack. And, you know, you can't just, well, let me just dump it off to Anthony Davis. Let me just throw a little lob to JaVale. You're going to have to start putting more of that workload back on you. And I don't know, maybe LeBron just can't take it anymore. I don't – I really, really, really want to refuse that point because I have the Lakers winning the championship. But I think LeBron still has it in him. But I maybe I just don't think he can for a whole seven games anymore. I don't know if he's coasting or not. That's the thing. It looks I mean, like it sometimes, doesn't I it? I think he's coasting because, you know, he had 10 points in game two and he had 38 points in game three. I think LeBron just has that switch and he's able to control when he wants to play very aggressively versus when he doesn't. And I think is, yeah. that, you know, game two was just 
not one of those games where you had to do a lot. AD was so completely incredible in game two. Like, he could basically play the game 1v9. That's so amazing. He was just performing for the Lakers at that point. Like, yeah, there was no answer for that. But when you're playing someone against, like, hey, let's say you're playing James Harden. James Harden can manage Anthony Davis or anybody in the NBA points, right? That's a fair point. That's fair. James Harden versus Anthony Davis in points. They'll probably get somewhere near the same 30-ish, 30-plus, right? Right. But in those situations, I don't think that they would ex- LeBron wouldn't expend as much effort, or he would expend more effort than he did in that game, too. But at the end of the day, you keep everybody keeps saying LeBron could turn it on. LeBron could turn it on. When? How many? How much can you turn it? Can you turn it on for a full seven games back to back to back? To, you know what I mean? Like, can you fully do this, or are you just turning it on for one game? Okay, now you got the two one series. Are we gonna see LeBron come out tomorrow and coast again? And maybe they'll get the win and go three one up, and he's just coast. You know, like he did in game two. I think it's a matter of like competitiveness, right? Like if you have a team like the Blazers, they're not very good. They're an AFC, right? Exactly. You can afford to go full capacity like LeBron does. And then they win outright. But I think what G's saying mm-hmm. is that, you know, where's the ceiling right now? Like, if you have the Rockets who are, like, incredible on offense, maybe not so great on defense, and at the same time they're going off for, like, 140 points a game, do you think that Anthony Davis is 30? How much can LeBron put yeah. to put them over 140 mm-hmm. points? Right? My, my other thing is, like, if LeBron's going to turn into the passer, which is fine. He I led the league in assists this year. That's great. But – it's obviously assist that depend on someone else finishing the basket. Obviously, Danny Green and KCP and a bunch of their shooters have been playing really poorly. Obviously, they had a good game three. And game two and one, pretty forgettable for KCP and especially Danny Green. And it's just, oh, yeah. if you're going to if you're gonna expect these guys to be the ones to match Russell Westbrook's points or the Rockets' three-pointers, because I'm taking – if you're going to talk about who, who I expect to make more threes – Going forward in the Rockets versus the Lakers, I would I'm gonna take the Rockets. So you're not gonna tell me Danny Green and KCP are gonna match Eric Gordon, J- James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Daniel House, all those guys are three pointers. That is possible. You know? Right, and I think most they people would agree something. that like Portland, Portland and the and the Rockets are completely different levels of competition. You know, mm-hmm. the Rockets basically embraced Mori Ball fully when they've been with the small ball lineup. And oh, yeah. You're just going to basically try and outscore and outshoot the Lakers out of the floor. And the Lakers' finger defense, to be frank, hasn't been exactly inspiring as of late. You know, the, the Portland still has to take a lot of outside shots, and they're kind of still forcing them to do that, especially when they consider, once again, you know, how good the entire defense of the Lakers is compared to the Blazers. And the Blazers will just go into the paint. I mean, you only see... Uh, we would attack the paint really when they just go full speed downhill on a transition or not even really in a, in a half court set. And so, you, James Harden is really the master of playing in a half court set. You know, even if the game is slowed down, James Harden knows how to get into the paint and like exploit the defenders. And he's really good at getting those angles as well. So, a lot of the woes that Portland has had in terms of scoring. Uh, there's going to be more facets to offense that the Rock- Rockets can now use. And the Lakers' defense, which really has been the carrying card of this entire team, really, that's going to be like the main thing I'd look out for in this space where those two score off. I think, yeah. I think going about this, uh, just a quick mention on those Rockets, yeah, they're, when they're on, you know, the whole bubble situation does really help the Rockets in the sense that they're not worried about other team, like, you know, the intensity from the, the away team or any of that. They're just set on shooting and focused on it. There's not outside distractions coming in, you know. But all I'm saying is don't count out the thunder. The series is not over <laughs> yet. Yeah. All right. All right. I but think the know, thing is, yeah. Is over. 76ers and the Celtics. Oof. Oof. That's a... So before we go and talk about the Sixers series today, I, I just want to say, first of all, that I was very wrong about the predictions in the <laughs> podcast that Matthew and I did last summer where we were talking about the acquisitions of Al Horford and Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris. I was really hyping up the defense of those guys. And I could not be more disappointed in what I said back then. Boy, did they not do well. We love a good crow eating, man. We love a good crow eating. Horford has the worst contract in the NBA. 
I think it's by far not even close. That man is averaging like seven points or something ridiculous like that. He's unreliable on defense. His jump shot looks like he's been playing in like third grade level basketball. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with Al Horford. Sheesh. So do you, ball. yeah, I haven't watched a lot of 76ers basketball, but is Not it much just, he, did he, <laughs> did he just regress or do you think that it's he a coaching thing? He may not even a starter for their team anymore. It's depressing. It's, it, they start rookies over him. They started Ben Simmons at power forward with what is like Al Horford back in line. And, and it's just, you know, he used to be a reliable post player, decent jump shooter, and a great defender. And that's what he made his name on. And it doesn't seem like he can do any of those three anymore, which is pretty sad to watch. That's yeah, a... and I mean, the Sixers have the high advantage in, in their lineup, you know. You'd be every, very surprised. Everybody. Yeah, against really everybody. They're, I think when they're one of the tallest average lineups in the league, along with, I think, the, the Magic and even the... The Nuggets, Bucks, maybe. Maybe the Nuggets, too, Yeah. yeah. And it's and obviously everybody knows Ben Simmons is hurt and he wasn't playing this series, but you know you look at Joel Embiid. We always question can you can you can you ball out for four quarters straight and get me thirty eight? You know he had great first quarters in the first three games. He went I think the first two games in the first quarter he went perfect, but in the rest of the three quarters he was he was gone disappeared, and I think that's best way to summarize Joel Embiid. He's there for part of the game and then part of the season he's great but consistently and throughout a whole series or a whole game he's just not reliable number one um i know that a lot of people are gonna be like oh joel he's so good though he was going the right piece of joel is not reliable he can't seem to string good quarters together he can't string good games together and you know, a lot of people are saying it's because Joel Embiid's kind of done with the Sixers or whatever. You know, I'd be done with the Sixers too if um, I sucked that much and my team got <laughs> swept by. My team got swept by the third year or a second Jesus. year player. I don't know. Joel Embiid and Sixers, they look like hot trash. Do you think the He's process has been failed? the only one showing up in these games? The thing is, yeah, look, I love Joel Embiid. I'm going to say the Joel really Embiid well. stand approach here, right? I think Joel Embiid is a great player, but I don't think the Sixers built the personnel for him. Look, you have Al Horford, right? And you think, oh, it's going to be a Twin Tower situation here. But the thing is, Embiid doesn't need that. Kind of like, you don't want to clog up the paint any more than you want and like have with Simmons as as the point guard, right? He can't shoot. So he has to go inside the paint. So you're Mm -hmm. clogging up the paint. And you force Joel Embiid to be the three-point shooter. And that's not what you want. You want him to post up. He's an incredible post player, right? I you also, need shooters. I, I also want to say for the 76ers in the defense of Joel Embiid, I know I just bashed on him, but also <laughs> to go on the other side, they have surrounded him, like you said, with pieces that don't make sense. A coach that doesn't seem like he knows how to make a game plan. Doesn't seem like Brad Brown ever goes out and says, try to figure out a system to make everything work, you know? A lot of times, the best thing to do is require acquire talent and then build a system, right? Or build a system and then acquire talent. But for the 76ers, they just said, max contract for you, for you, and you. And then we'll figure out how to play basketball after. And they just never spent the time or any effort to figure out how to make a good functioning offense. And that's what you were just saying. There's too many people in the post sometimes. Then next quarter, you'll see too many people on the perimeter. And it just doesn't seem like Brent Brown knows what he's doing in the sense of why is Park have you not been able to find a balance between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and you have you know you didn't have Al Horford last year and they didn't look very good they didn't have now they have Al Horford they still had Josh Richardson last year and this year they didn't look very good both years and I think I think for the 76ers if they don't end up blowing up the team which I think one of the two will probably be gone in Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid I think Brett Brown is most likely getting fired. I think relatively soon he'll be fired. Um, I think I, it would be a complete shock, not to interrupt you, but I think it would be a complete shock if Brett Brown still remains on this team. Mm-hmm. I agree. You it's cannot, yeah, you cannot, like, clearing shop again. Look, the process was supposed to be done after the Al Horford and the Tobias Harris signings. You can't, you ran out of resources. You don't have draft picks. You don't have money. It's over. Right. You can't change this personnel anymore. No one wants Al Horford. 
This is your team now. That's what yeah. we heralded it to be, you know, when Tobias Harris and, and Al Horvath signed for exactly. astronomically huge contracts. You know, we were saying, okay, this is the lineup that they're six running for the next few years. Like, okay, this, this is, is it. pretty much it. It's all said and done. And the, you are locked into these guys now. I think what the 76ers failed to realize was Brett Brown was a great coach for when they were the process and he had to develop these players. Brett Brown has not taken the next step forward. You know, you look at other teams that have fired their coach and became a lot better, you know. Look at the Warriors when they fired Mark Jackson. You know, Exactly what I was going to say. They could have kept learning with Mark Jackson, but if there was limitations to what Mark Jackson can do with that team. And when you brought in Steve Kerr, you just saw everything mesh together so well. You know, you're like, wow, what just, what just happened from last year to losing to the Los Angeles Clippers in seven games to now being what, one of the best teams in the league? It's because you figured everything out. The pieces clicked. For the 76 it was the exact opposite. You lost the seven and took Kawhi's game-winning game when he shot, right? And you're like, okay, well, I mean, he hit a legendary shot on, on us to win the game. That's okay. Next year we'll be better. And um, picked up Al Horford. You re-signed uh, Tobias. You know, you're like, okay, this is our this is the team we're going to go with. But Brown couldn't figure out how, how to mesh it all together and make it work. Tobias wasn't even playing that good last year in that series against the Raptors, if they're being real. I mean, if you look at their numbers, it, it didn't particularly warrant, you know, his re-signing for, I think it was $160 million. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, that's a really big figure to pay for, for someone who wasn't even an all-star, <laughs> like, yeah. ever, and hasn't been an all-star, and will likely not be an all-star for the coming years, unless he really steps up his game, because mm-hmm. everything he showed this year wasn't particularly inspiring of anything that was aspirational for so, the house. As avid Sixer fans that you guys seem like you are, what would you do with this team? Obviously, I think we all agree on firing Brett Brown. Mm-hmm. Would you guys trade Ben Simmons? Would you trade Joel Embiid? Would you keep both of them? Try to trade Al Horford? What do you guys think their next step should be? Do you think? Do you think that the Ben Simmons to power forward thing would work? Do I think, think that? I don't think Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, in my opinion, can be on the same team function. I'm mm. still Ben Simmons can shoot, but at this point, you keep waiting for him to shoot. They're going to need max contracts soon. Do you really want to sign Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to max contracts again, like to like for another four years together? If you've seen that the second rounds are furthest you can get, like, does that sound like the best investment in the sense? Um, I would say no. There's teams interested in getting Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. I think they can get a boatload for either of them. And with that boatload, maybe you can like get a couple picks for Ben Simmons, use a pick or two, and Al Horford get him out the team and then you know go from there you know try to figure out what you can do can will someone else be willing to take a Al Horford contract if he threw in a first round pick or something you know and I think that's the question the Sixers are asking themselves right now the process is about to blow up then I think that let's do a little bit of retrospective on what the Sixers really did you know they I think that actually they had a much better team coming in before all of these trades than after they pulled out the trades last season. Well, the one trade that I did agree with at the time was Jimmy Butler because he didn't yep. really give up that much for a guy like him. He, I think he gave up Covington and I want to say Sarge. It's one of the well, some of some of the picks. And like, you know, Jimmy Butler is a star, you know, the a established star. And you do want to pull the trigger for a guy of that caliber. But when you don't commit to re-signing Jimmy Butler, if you, when you don't offer him the full max, and you choose to go for Tobias Harris yeah. and Al Horford over a guy like Jimmy Butler, who was basically the closer for a lot of the games in the last latter half of the season. The reason, the reason the 76ers, one of the big reasons the 76ers didn't offer Jimmy Butler the full max contract was because of Brett Brown didn't like coaching Jimmy Butler. Yeah. I did hear about well, that. Yeah. That's no good. <laughs> well, that's great for them. I bet you they wish they had Jimmy Butler this series. Pat Riley loves it. The Sixers like, didn't really also Jimmy have Bowie. any shooters, too. You know, they had Landry Shamit, then Robert Covington. But Jimmy Butler was going to sweep the Pacers, and the, the 76ers just got swept. <laughs> right. But like look, looking back at what the Sixers did, they actually had better pieces already collected all those trades than really after. Because if you look at it now, a guy like Robert Covington is sorely needed for a Sixers team that looks That's like That's what this. I was about to say, yeah. They can't really play any modern NBA offense. They have no shooters and no real ball handlers right now. 
Like that's just the way that it is, you know. Okay. Brett Brown isn't able to really dictate or piece together a competent and viable rotation because of the fact that, like you said, she too many of the players are mismatched in their skills. They overlap a little bit too much on things that don't really matter as much to a modern NBA offense. I'm sure one is very good. I really want to compare it with the the failed system of seventy sixers to maybe someone like the Houston Rockets, right? You have a coach and GM in Houston where they were on the same page. They want to shoot threes, they want to play small ball, and they got the guys in need for that system, right? They traded away Capella and got Robert Covington. They got PJ Tucker. They had um, Jeff Green. You know, they got Ben Matlemore. They got pieces that make sense in their system. Whereas the 76ers, they have no system. They needed shooters, and they brought in Al Horford. Makes no sense. They needed they needed a closer, and they resigned Tobias Harris to 170 million, and he's never even been an All Star. So I just you know if you just compare at least those two systems and what they did and the moves they made to back that system, you could just see like the difference. And why would you do that in the 76ers? And then you look at the Rockets and you say, oh, that makes sense. You know, because they have an idea and it's just not, oh, there's a good player on the market. Let's go get him. Oh, there's an all-star we can probably go get. Let's just go trade away five picks. You know, that doesn't make sense. Let me just talk right now. I just have like a speculation of an idea right now that I would like you guys to talk about. What if Ben Simmons was traded to the Washington Wizards for Bradley Beal? What would you think about that? I I. I don't know if you're the 70s or if you're the Wizards, why you would do that. Yeah, that seems like a very one sided display. It's better than Bradley Beal at all. And I don't know if they can give you enough, like, other than Ben Simmons, who else would you get from them? I think I the would, thing is, like, maybe, maybe you trade, better. like, because I'm trying to see, like, if you trade Ben Simmons, you'd probably trade him to a, like, a loser team, right? I heard and the Cavs need... were interested in Ben Simmons. <laughs> But then you need a shooter, right? You need an all-star kind of shooter, right? Right. You got right. John Wall too. You got you trade broken contracts. Go ahead, do that. Too. Those are two like John Wall probably has one of the worst contracts in the league right now, considering all the injuries he's yeah. had, and they don't overlap very well too. I mean, you have two people whose basic skills rely on getting to the rim, and that's pretty much your offense. I mean, Bradley Beal is just too valuable to the Wizards in order to even think about that. Bradley Beal has basically been a major part in nearly every single baby that the Wizards have had. He's basically led or been one of the league leaders in usage. And he also, fun fact, leads the NBA in miles ran per game in an NBA game. He basically hustles and does a lot of the work for the Wizards right now. So they basically trade him to uh, Simmons, who isn't really like a very you know one-man show or like a very individually dominant player. That could be pretty problematic for them. I don't see why they would want to do that. Yeah. The thing is, I just don't know how what the Wizards' timeline is right now because I don't see <laughs> like them contending anytime soon. And I don't know if Bradley Beal would fit in that timeline anymore. So it's like a situation where you'd say, you know, fuck it. I, let's blow everything up. Yeah. Let's just get rid of him. I, I agree with you about the Wizards. I just don't agree that you would trade him to the 76ers. When, exactly. When there's teams like maybe the Lakers, maybe the – the Nets, maybe the, you know, some teams like that that have a lot more to offer, young assets. Who's the young, best young player on the 76ers? Matisse Tybel. He's not a player <laughs> you can build around. He's going to turn into a great 3 and D player, but he's not a player you can build around. I'd rather build around someone maybe like, give me Karis LeVert, you know, from mm-hmm. the Nets. I would, if you gave me Karis LeVert in a couple first round, I would consider trading that for Bradley Beal, you know? Yeah. But like, do I really want a no-shooting Ben Simmons for my best 30, 30 points per game, Bradley Beal? And, you know, even though I might not win with Bradley Beal, I'm for sure not winning with Ben Simmons. So what but would you assess, yeah, simple. his value is, though? What would you assess Ben Simmons' value I think, I think if you trade him to the right team, I heard that, like I said earlier, I heard the Cavs are interested. And if you look at who the Cavs have, I would go for maybe a Colin Sexton and a first-round pick maybe. Hmm. And, you know, the Cavs, I mean, Cavs have a great first-round pick, like a fifth pick, sixth pick, I think yeah. it is, right? I would, if they the are... The problem is pick, also with Colin Sexton, not to interrupt, Colin Sexton is one of the worst yeah. shooters, like, from three. Hey, it's oh, yeah, pick. look, he fits right in. <laughs> so it could work out. You're basically getting a, 
uh, worse Ben Simmons on uh, offense and defense. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what the city for novice would do. Hell yeah, Philly, Philly. We should probably get hired right now. I Elton think Brand's on the phone. Pictures should um, fire Elton Brand. Um, I think he made great trades to get the process going, but recently he went from executive to the year. I think he's the worst executive. You just can't. He was executive of the year last year when they got Jimmy. Yeah, Rowling. he was. Jesus. Yeah, and now he's probably the worst executive after these contracts he gave out. So I think him and Brett Brown are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's a shit show in Philadelphia. I think yeah, if I'm a Philadelphia sad. fan, I'd be completely irate right now. Like, there is nothing <laughs> defendable never, about the incompetence irate. of the free <laughs> this one office. Let me, let, me, let me say one thing about the other side of it. What if you were to trade Joel and Mead? Obviously, not the smartest decision, but a team like the Warriors. Ah, here we go. You get the number oh, two man. and Andrew Wiggins. I would take that for Joel Embiid because at the end of the day, you haven't paid Joel Embiid, so you're not tied to him long term. And you haven't paid Ben Simmons, but Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, and Al Horford at center, at center works out a lot better. And Tobias Harris, you go get like a Obi Topin, you go get a um, Wiseman, you get an Anthony Edwards or someone like that. That is something I would, I would rather do. Lamelo, man, Lamelo. I would. There's a lot of options they could go for. Because if you end up playing Ben Simmons at power forward next year, you could draft a Lamelo at point guard. And exactly. he, would, he, would, he would strive in Philadelphia. Philadelphia would love someone like Lamelo. <laughs> so that's what I would do. I would trade Joel and be the Friday 76ers. Because regardless, I think either way, whoever they end up trading or if they keep both, they're not a championship team. I think we can all agree on that, right? They're yeah. not. They're not one trade away. They're like five moves away, right? And those moves are from players, coaching, GM. Everything needs to be changed around. Right? You got to get everything right, perfectly right, yeah. right now. Exactly. Championship teams. You look at the last few championships, like this. Take the Raptors. They had the star player. They had the role players. They had the great coach. They had Simon Ujiri at GM. They had every level and every piece correct, right? And then you look mm-hmm. at the 76ers. Who is their who is their best player? Joel Embiid plays like it for three quarters, not all the time, you know, not for game seven. And then there's coach question marks and GM question marks. Role players not really making sense in their team. So I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. I would love Joel Embiid, by the way. He can come to the Warriors. That's perfectly fine with me. I'm still utterly shocked at how this series turned out for the for the Sixers, you know. I think that the, I'm not too surprised at the end of the day, but like coming into the season, I think most fans would be pretty surprised to see just how far the Sixers have fallen. And, you know, I think it's a point that really undermines a lot of what they've been trying to do ever since they started the process in 2012 and 2013. Because you have to consider this too. With the way that the NBA lottery now does their odds for who gets the first <laughs> pick and everything and how to get high draft picks, you can't really replicate this process anymore. Mm-hmm. What the process era Sixers have done to get Embiid and Simmons and you know mm-hmm. uh, Fultz, that's not really replic- replicable. And that this is pretty much you know the crowning achievement what they've been working for. And you know if you want to trade a guy like Embiid now, you're just waving the white flag on everything that Sam Hinkie has done. And I, I think, think that's just a pure shame. Okay, well Vivek, let me ask you a question then. Sure. How much further are you going to get with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? I mean, you aren't going to go further with them as it stands. I think, though, that like think- Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are two great players. But the, yeah. the issue is that they don't really surround them with the right personnel at the end. They need more 3 and D people. If Ben Simmons isn't going to shoot threes, then okay. Like, if you're going to have people like Covington and guys that can provide you those complementary spacing, to compensate for your lack of ability to, you know, to create space on the outside and draw out defenders, then okay, then that by all means go for it if you're able to continue what you're doing. But the problem is that the Sixers didn't really go that route, you know. If a player wants to just be very, you know, uh, very intent on just playing a particular style, then as the team, you don't really have much leverage because you spend a lot of assets and capital trying to get a guy like Ben Simmons. And 
basically it's a player driven league. So you kind of have to accede to what they want to do. But you have to be able to go yourself and get those assets and lock them down as you need them, right? So you want to keep a guy like Jimmy Butler. You want to offer him the max and not, you know, Tobias Harris. In hindsight, that's more easy to say. But, you know, you want to keep guys that can shoot the ball. I, I simply believe that at the end, the Sixers just didn't strong Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with the right personnel. And I don't think that Ben Simmons, as a player, can really overcome like his weaknesses if he doesn't have the right pieces around him. I think as far as stars go, you know, he has very glaring holes in this game out of any other star I can really think of. And in an era where modern offense runs antithetical to how Ben Simmons wants to play basketball, that is pretty questionable of what the Sixers have essentially done. And I think as a Sixers fan, you'll be very irate with the front office. I think I think the 76ers are in a bad position, but it is not unfixable. I don't know if that's a word, but it is. It is, not, I think. I don't think it's a lost cause. And they still have two potential superstars on their team, which most teams can't even say. Obviously, will they end up becoming superstars? Who knows? But, you know, the trade value is the potential superstar. So with a few right moves, they could be another great team. But it always comes down to making the right move and figuring it out. I'd if we're able to get cheap 3 and D players, yeah. I think that it's possible. But I think given the cap space situation, that could be very hard to pull off. I'm going to say one last thing about this. You know, Sure. The process didn't fail the 76ers. The Sixers failed the process. I think that's everything you have to say because all the capital, you have all this capital in the world. You had all the resources, you all, all the cap space you wanted. And you got two guys. That's great. But where are you right now? You were where you were when you started this in 2012. You're a middling playoff team that just got bounced in the first round. You're not bad enough now to go tank to the lottery. And they adjusted it specifically for you to not do that. And then you're not good enough to be championship contenders because, look, you're, you're stuck. <laughs> you're stuck again. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked enough about the Sixers. We'll see what's <laughs> But before we today, um, I want everybody to quickly just say the team name that you have in the NBA championship this year, and we'll call it. I got the Lakers. Vivek, do you want to go? Oh, yeah. As far as we're talking about NBA championships, like the teams that we could have winning the championship this year. I think it's going to be the Clippers. I'm going to give you one right now, just based off of the first round, because I'm going to change it probably the next time we meet up. I'm going with the Raptors. Oh, I love that pick. I love love the the Raptors got going on. Great. They're spicy, right? They got, a, they, got a, they got a challenge up against them. Celtics next round. Exactly. Yeah, the, the Nets were quick work for the Raptors. Like the now Raptors just see, completely yeah. had their way. And they were they would never really let the foot off the gas pedal the entire series. I, I was watching a little bit of it and you know, Siakam yeah. and Van Vliet were going in serious work against, you know, Terry Silver and then waiting all the guys over there. So to be fair, they look cursed. The Nets look cursed. Like they Siakam made a half like mid-court shot from the buzzer three and like i every time the nets shot they couldn't make anything like they were making turnovers it was sloppy even though though they didn't look good and you say they're first i really think (laughs) they have a brighter future than the 76ers and not not including kevin durant and kairi i would say kira silver and des fans and jared allen and all these guys joe harris they showed something that the 76ers didn't, and that was fight, and that is what I think is the most important thing. And, and they're they also cheap assets, too. Yeah, they didn't even have high first-round pick. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for the rest of this bubble, what happens. It's going to be a great series of basketball to finish, and then the next round, they're going to be even better. I want to just wrap it up. Just one last thing, though. G, I know it's your birthday right now, yeah. or it's about to be your birthday in about an hour. First of all, happy birthday. Thank happy you. birthday, man. And second of all, if you had one sports-related birthday wish that you could do right now, what would you want? I would want to see Chris Paul in the championship this year. (laughs) All right, all right. Not Steelers? I was going to say Steelers. 
I would love to see the Steelers win, but I have seen them win, and I have seen Chris Paul be bounced and trashed his whole career and screw over when he was supposed to go to the Lakers and all this other stuff that I don't want to get into right now. For sure. But if he – even if he just wins against his Rockets team, that in itself is so – I think so important for his legacy as an NBA player that was hated and on question. They said, Thunder aren't going to do shit, you know, finally mm-hmm. made the playoffs. And there everybody's like, oh, come on, dude. They can't match up with James Harden. They can't match up with Russell Westbrook. And if he can beat them, that would be ridiculous to me, especially after they traded him. Oh, man. Yeah, um, I, I think that yeah. – I don't think it's controversial to say that Chris Paul is one of the greatest point guards of all time. And I definitely respect his play. And he's an incredible player. You know, he's been – he's – if it weren't for his injuries, I think he would be even better – or have been better for legacy than many consider him to have. I think he, I think the world of him, I think he's a really, really good player. He's very smart. He's a very good leader. And I, I definitely think that what he's done with the Thunder has been super impressive this entire season. Well, you know, it doesn't take a lot for me to not to root against the Lakers and the Rockets. So <laughs> I'll root for Chris Paul. Thank you. We're going to win game four. If, any, if anybody, if any of you guys are listening to this and it comes out after game four and we win, I called it first. All right. Game four tomorrow night. And that's all from us here at Sports Council. Yep. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening in and keep watching the playoffs. And, you know, it's great that basketball is back and we're able to share this moment. You know, considering everything that's happened, I think that sports are a great way to bring people together and bond over something in common and i think that's really really powerful and more importantly even even really fun yeah and everybody please stay safe stay inside man so still pandemic please and if you know you need something to do listen to the podcast share with your friends <laughs> and something to do too for sure for sure more episodes to come all right thank you